0: If you have a Bible nearby, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. special uh, special word of thanks to the band and Matt and Jess and Nathan and the setup team and everybody that came extra early this morning to get things where they need to go. Um, appreciate them always, but uh, I jokingly said a few weeks ago that the band would have to get here at four. Uh, they didn't get here at four, um, nor did we ask them to, so that was a joke. Um, definitely appreciate that. Um, what I would like to do, uh, is begin a, a three-week deal. Um, we are, we are in a rotation with the, the various elders preaching, uh, but just with scheduling things and just various whatevers, it just kind of has worked out, uh, to where you'll be stuck with me for the next three weeks, and then, I, I hold on, and then, <laughs> then you get, uh two elders in a row, and then you get me for two more and then another elder and whatnot. So uh, instead of every other week, it'll just be, uh, you know, a cornucopia of elders for the next, uh, it's not Thanksgiving, is it? It's 4th of July. Um, So uh, what I want to do is start a three-week deal, and um, it may seem a little bit odd for for what these three weeks are going to be about, but let me explain myself. Uh, I'm going to do three weeks on on marriage. And uh, that is probably going to be strange for a couple reasons. One, I'm not married. Um, I don't care. Uh, two, um, there is currently a, a community group, a summer community group, that is called Holy Matrimony that I'm leading. Um, and so it might seem like overkill for people who are in that for round one. It may seem like really overkill for people in round two. Um, and uh, just for all of, of those folks, yes, we're going to cover a lot of the same stuff, and I have good reasons for that. Uh, the main one being, I feel like it's what God wants us to do, so argue with that. Um, we'll cover some of the same stuff, uh, but I don't really have issue with that. One, because I know, I've been in enough small groups to know that you only walk away with like a little bit, and so maybe covering it again, maybe you'll pick up some more things. Um, and also, some things teach better than they preach, and some things preach better than they teach. And so, um, while I kind of like to do both at one time, there's some things that w- would be weird for me to say in a small group setting when you're like this far away from me, that'll be easier to say when I'm up here. And so, uh, yeah, just keep that in mind. Um, if, uh, another reason why it might seem strange is that, uh, we don't, it's not really the, the, the line of teaching that I usually take, you know, singling out marriage and, uh, and and I really I feel like I need to not have a little little chat with all my single friends. Um, I don't want you to panic. Feel like uh, you know we're shifting directions or anything. Um, I don't want you to uh, to I don't want you to feel like um, I'm like we're selling out. You know, because uh, I know I've been the single person my whole life, sitting in churches where um, you know so much of what is being taught is like aimed at married people and families. And people who are, if you're single, they kind of say, well, this will just kind of get you ready for when you are married. Um, but I've never, never been on board with that, really. I've heard that, um, but I've sat there a lot of times just being like, at least just acknowledge that there are single people in the room, please, you know. So throw us a bone, you know, whatever. Uh, but here's the, here's the thing. And this is for the married people and the single people and whatever. Uh, I feel like um, the reason why, for me, um, going hearing you know an eight-week series on marriage, the reason why it frustrated me is because I didn't really connect with the rest of the church as being a family, and that's that's on me. Um, I didn't really see it as wow, there are marriages and families who are going to, for the next seven or eight weeks, are going to be equipped and challenged and pushed. I didn't see that as the benefit that it is for the entire church body. I didn't see, as a single person, how that would benefit me. Um, but, it, but it does. And, and that was my, was my issue. And I, I want to make sure that we are, all, are starting off together because when you're a family, if somebody in the family is going through something, being challenged with something, is trying to grow, trying to whatever. The rest of the family, uh, in a healthy situation, is brought in on it. Um, uh, my, my dad is diabetic, and so when my dad was diagnosed with that, I mean, he sat us down and was like, this is what diabetes is, and this is, this is what it means, and this is this and this, and this is, these are things that are going to change, and this is how, you know, whatever, and um, ways that we can support him in that and all this kind of stuff. So in a healthy situation, whenever, when, I'm not equating marriage with, you know, a bad, you know, whatever. Um, I'm not saying it's the same thing. What I am saying is that, that in a family that communicates, if, if there's something going on, then you communicate. And you say, hey, hey, we're, we're trying to do this. We're, we're trying to grow in this. Or, hey, we're facing this challenge or we're facing this whatever. So that the rest of the family can figure out how to pray, how to support, how to encourage, um, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like as a single person in this church, um, it is beneficial for me to be keyed in on a series about marriage because I need to know how to pray for and support and encourage my married friends. And as I do that, as they flourish, our whole church flourishes. And so really I also benefit from them digging into things or whatever. And so um, not to look at it from a how to, what am I going to get out of it standpoint, but what are, how is this going to benefit all of us if we're a family and a significant Portion of our family are digging deeper into these things in these summer community groups and wives' discipleship and husbands' discipleship and all that stuff, then it is important for us, all of us. So if you're single, I'm not going to throw you the line that's like, well, this will get, get you ready, even though maybe it will get you ready. Um, primarily, this is about our church family trying to figure out how we can all support one another in growth together for the benefit of the entire family and for the name of Jesus Christ through our family. Cool? Awesome. So um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Ephesians 5, and we're going to kind of uh, take kind of a strange approach, um, maybe, because we're just going to hop around a text. I usually like to go straight through it, but I think it'll just be better this way. No you know, disrespect to the Holy Spirit or Paul. Uh, just for tonight, <laughs> this morning, we're going to kind of hop around a little bit. Um, and I think that it's really sad the way that um, marriage and what it 's all about has really just become such a it just becomes so skewed and I, I think that when sin entered into the world that it it messed every literally everything up, it messed up the earth, it messed up uh, man and woman, it messed up snakes um, it messed up everything and it messed up how we, we relate to each other and all that so then Jesus shows up and he sets everything right, and so now he 's having to teach us how to to walk in this Redemption, and so culture has really given us like a, a jacked up view of marriage, um, because we, you know, marriage—it's it's either the ridiculousness of you know some romantic comedy or whatever um, that has just just crazy expectations and crazy outcomes or whatever, and so something that has is, I mean, 100% motivated by profit and money. And entertainment um, has, we've let that become a teacher when it shouldn't be. Um, and so you kind of have that extreme, and then you also have, you know, the other extreme of like like sitcoms, where you have like Everybody Loves Raymond, where marriage is like, you know, Raymond's a goober, and Deborah's is like the strong, powerful woman who thinks he's an idiot, and he's always messing stuff up, and um, you know, whatever, and then uh, he's not really a good father, because all he wants to do is play golf all the time, and and once his arm is twisted enough, he spends time with his kids. And he has boundary issues with his parents and his brother. And there's all these, like, all these just ridiculous things. And, and so you know, marriage has become a joke. Um, or it's become something where expectations are just through the roof and whatever. And both of those are wrong. Um, and so our culture has taken a lot of that entertainment and, and sort of worked that into how marriage you know, is. And plus, most of us grow up like, looking at real-life examples of, of marriages and some of them are awesome and they want you they make you want to be married, you know. There are some marriages in our lives where we look at that and we say, if that's what marriage is like, then I, I sign me up for that. But there's a a lot of couples where you're like, why in the world would anybody get married if that's that's what happens. And so whether it's entertainment or just culture in general or the examples that we have or just everything, all of us have these we have this definition of what marriage is in our minds and so the challenge for us is okay Jesus has redeemed all that so now we need him to teach us what marriage is really all about and we need him to set things right and to uh, to correct all that wrong thinking and really help us to understand what's going on and so we are dependent on him to do that and he is the only one who is worthy to be able to do that and so that's what our wives, when they get together, that's what they're going for. And our husbands, when they get together in this community group, that's what we've been, been trying to do. And so now, just for the next three weeks, as a community, we're going to try to dig into this to let Jesus redefine for us what the marriage relationship, what a marriage is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be about, so that all of us can help cultivate it and grow this in our community. Um, so let's, let's look at this. We're going to start at the end of this section. Look at verse, start at verse 31. All right, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, the last verse, kind of a summary verse. We'll come back to that later. Look at at 31 again. This is quoting uh, the the first marriage ceremony that God performed, uh, man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, two shall become one flesh. He says, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So if you think about it in this sense, up until this point, marriage has been awesome and it's been like, it's been great or whatever. Um, and it's had its struggles, and it's need, been needing redemption and all this kind of stuff. But it's always been this, this, something's been going on that people didn't really understand. And here in this verse, in 32, Paul explains, okay, this, this is what's so mysterious about marriage. This is why it's so mysterious. This is why there's just something about it that is almost magical, like almost just, there's a supernatural something that happens um, when, when two people are joined together in a marriage covenant, he says, and this is why. Because that refers to Christ in the church. That is the, the deepest meaning of marriage. That is, that is what's really going on. So it's not about your romantic comedy situation of, you know, being in love and romance and flowers and all this kind of stuff, and it's not about knight in shining armor and all that kind of stuff. It's not about you know, sitcoms and just being a goober and kind of just being to the point where you're, you, know, you really don't like being married, but you kind of do sometimes and whatever. Um, it's not any of that stuff. So no, a married couple, the marriage covenant, um, is a copy of the original. It's something I've said so much lately. Copy of the original. Um, uh, John Piper says, he goes on, he says, it's a copy of the original. He says it's a, a metaphor that teaches this greater reality. It says, and it's a, a living parable that communicates uh, a greater truth. That when you see a husband and a wife together, like whether it's a wedding ceremony or you just see them, you know, anywhere, that what's when they are standing side by side, they are, they are a copy of something bigger than them. Eugene Peterson says that all earthly things are shadows of heavenly realities. And that, that stuck with me so much and I look around and I see things and when we were in Mexico you know I was you know the language barrier gets frustrating at times or whatever and I was just like thinking like wow like because of the fall we speak different languages and we live in countries with borders and we you know there's all just all the things on earth that are reflecting some sort of reality in the heavens and so because of sin we have different languages and and Countries and wars and all this kind of stuff, whatever, and we have hurricanes and earthquakes and all this stuff. And marriage is is similar in that it is something on earth that we experience that teaches us something greater. But the, it's just with a hurricane, it teaches us something bad. With marriage, it teaches us something beautiful. So, a copy of the original. Um, so, that concept. Um, comes up a lot in the marriage community group, and it comes up a lot. It's going to come up a lot in the these next couple weeks. So anytime you want to know, if you're married and you're here, if anytime you want to know what your marriage needs to look like or how you need to handle a situation in your role as husband and as wife and together, then you, and just trust me, you look first at the original and see how that plays out in the relationship between Jesus and Jesus. And us, and then you copy that original relationship. Now you're probably thinking, "Oh yeah, a single guy giving us advice." No, no, no. Trust me. And if you're in the marriage community group, we're gonna we'll, we'll do enough examples where you'll be. Like, we get it. Okay, fine. Leave us alone. Um, so, verse thirty-one: A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two become one flesh. Um, a little side note here, um, that is, this is this is a progression of events. Um, you you leave your parents, you are joined together, which in the original language is it's the same idea. It's like you're it's like when something is glued together, when it's cemented together, like you literally hold hold on to each other, and then then there's unity that comes. So one plus one equals one kind of deal, and. It, It literally means like you start something new, like a new family is birthed. So if uh, if you have in-law issues, this is your this is this is home base for how to deal with this, because in-law issues come when either the couple doesn't understand this verse or the in-laws don't understand this verse. That you leave your parents, you're cemented and glued together, and you but literally become a new family. You become kin. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And so um, when, you know, I hear this at rehearsal dinners from time to time, you know, and you have both sides of the family, and everybody's like, we're one big happy family. You know, false. You're not one big happy family. (laughs) You're three, hopefully happy families, very much separate in the eyes of God. So, and now, I might be stretching things a little bit here, but think about the copy of the original that happens just in that progression, that, that Jesus left, left the Father, left heaven, and became cemented together with his church by redeeming us, and now we have become united with him. As one. So this is crucial for us to understand the, the unity between Jesus and between us. Um, look at look back at, at twenty two. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Okay. Now, let me just differentiate between these two things really quickly. In this in one passage of scripture you have two images being being taught. You have Jesus and the church, a bride and groom standing side by side. And then in this verse you have one body where Jesus is the head and we are the rest of the body. And it's like, okay, which which one is it? Bride and groom or a body? Is it two or is it one? And and it's important for us to to really wrap our minds and hearts around the fact that it's both at the same time—that you have take a married couple, take Cody and Brittany, okay? You have Cody and Brittany, and you have Cody and Brittany. That they they each like maintain like their own distinct identities and personalities and lives and all that kind of stuff. However, there's also a unity there because they're husband and wife. So they exist as one and two at the same time without losing any sort of uh, anything and only gaining. So it's the same thing with, with us, that sometimes uh, Paul's going to talk about us being the bride and him being the groom, and other times he's talking about him being the head and us being the body. It's, they're not contradicting each other, and it's not, it shouldn't be confusing. It should, be, it should really actually make a lot of sense because the two have become one flesh. Leave your father and mother cemented together, the two become one flesh. Same thing has happened with Jesus and with all of us. And so so really this, tonight especially, is, yeah, it's about marriage, but a lot of this is really about Jesus and the church and the relationship that he has with us. And a deeper understanding of the gospel and our relationship with Jesus is going to lead to a deeper understanding of marriage. But if you really want to understand marriage, you really dig into the gospel and you'll understand. And so if you're single or, or, or married or, or divorced or going through troubles, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, that's not really the issue. The issue is let's understand more about Jesus and the church, and then that will lead to a better understanding of, of all this. So in these verses, we see, uh, we see submission, we see you know, respect and stuff. We'll come back to that. Look at 25. Here's the verse that scares all our husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay? And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All right, now let's look at this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay, super important to understand about Jesus relating to us, is there, there is a mutual care that goes on, where um, care for one affects the other directly. So, in... Okay, so Jesus... Living here on the earth, we see him, uh, the disciples would be like, hey, where's Jesus? Oh, he's off praying. We see him constantly quoting the scriptures. We see him uh, abiding. We see him dependent on the spirit. We We see him taking care of himself. And because he took care of himself and stayed where he needed to be in his relationship with the father, the church benefited from that. Because he was able to go, die on the cross, the perfect sinless sacrifice for us to be joined to him. To this day, Jesus continues care for the church. So he takes care of himself, or he takes care of us, but one affects the other. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, like when a baby is in mama's stomach, and everything that mama eats, the baby also eats. So if it's good stuff... Good for the baby. If it's bad stuff, bad for the baby. It's kind of the same thing where where when you have a husband and a wife, um, what happens to one directly affects the other. And married people, you're kidding yourselves if you think that it doesn't. If you think that you can can go through life and not abide and not be obedient and all this kind of stuff and still have a flourishing marriage, false. It's not going to happen. If if you if you think that. Um, your struggles with sin and your disobedience and your whatever does not have a direct impact on your spouse and your your family, you're absolutely kidding yourself. Look at the verse again. Verse 28. The same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Jesus loves the church, and when the church flourishes, the name of Christ flourishes. So he takes care of himself. We see that on earth. He takes care of the church now. We see that all over the New Testament. And when the church flourishes, Jesus flourishes. And when Jesus flourishes, the church flourishes. I mean, it is the two becoming one. So in that sense, it's almost helpful to think of, of the, the body uh, analogy of him being the head, everything else, all of us being the rest of the body. A little while, like a couple weeks ago, I, I cut my finger real bad. And uh, I mean, it was a gusher. It was bad. And... Uh, like, I had to, like, make some decisions, and so I'm sitting there trying to figure out what am I going to do about this, and so my, in my brain, I came up with this awesome plan to make my own splint, and uh, it was awesome, and it worked. Um, but here I was trying to figure out what to do, and the, the thing that freaks, freaks, I think, everybody out is getting, like, it's not so much, like, for me, it's not the wound, it's not whatever, it's the infection that could happen. You know, it's the staph infection that, causes you to, like, lose your whole arm or something, you know, and, like, you just, like, think of worst-case scenario and, you know, whatnot. And uh, so in my mind, I formed this plan, and I was trying to, I was like, is this a go-get-stitches situation, or is this a use some Band-Aids and an emery board to make a splint situation? And it was, it was B. Um, so I'm trying to think of what to do, what to do, what to do, and then I actually was able to physically go and do that. My entire body benefited from the fact that I took care of that wound in a semi-responsible way. Everything turned out fine, and if I had ignored it, then my entire body could have been affected by it. One thing affects everything. so there, there's a mutual care that exists between Jesus and the church, and is the same thing in every marriage that you will ever see. This should motivate you tremendously to, to abide and remain constantly where you need to be. Why in the world would you not abide if you were a husband or a wife? When you read a verse like this, knowing it directly affects your spouse, which directly affects you, why in the world would you not He who loves his wife loves himself. It's beautiful. It's challenging. Now, let's... Go back to 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Selflessness, okay? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Now, let's look look at the original. Let's look at how Jesus cares for you and for me. In every way. Just literally, in every possible way. Just in this text, we see selflessness, we see sanctification. He's making us into His own image, we see cleansing working out spots and wrinkles and all that kind of stuff so that there could be holiness, there's a purity that's there. When we look at how Jesus loves the church, we see unconditional love, we see grace upon grace upon grace, we see provision, we see protection, we see Him speaking the truth to us. Whether that means affirming and encouraging, or maybe it means warning, or maybe it means correcting and discipline. we see this, this care that is whatever, whatever we need, maybe not what we want, but what we truly need in order to grow and to look more like Him, Jesus provides that, either directly, because He is constantly interceding. So you want to build a case for husbands praying with their wives and their families? Look at Jesus, because He doesn't ever stop. Whether it's intercession, or whether it's Him sending His Spirit, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? Comforts guides, illuminates scripture I mean whatever need is there is met whether it's needs that we had and that he met on the cross or whether it's needs we continue to have that he meets constantly every day, every day, every day and so then you have husbands who are like oh okay husbands of your wives, Christ loves the church, awesome so basically be the most accurate picture of Jesus she ever sees, okay cool Got it. Now, just hit pause real quick. Now, wives, are you hearing this? I mean, are you really hearing what your spouse is called to? That cannot lead to you being the Holy Spirit for him. Be like, "Uh uh-huh, right there. Did you hear that? Did you you hear what Josh said? Did you see that? Did you read that? You You need to be overwhelmed on behalf of your spouse. This should motivate every wife to to pray and to love and to admire the fact that these men have willingly stepped up and said, "I, I will take this on. I believe God has called me to this. And by his strength and by his grace, I'm going to strive every day to walk this out. It ought to make every wife emotional. Not in a romantic comedy way, not in whatever, like in a, oh my goodness, kind of way. Single people, when you read that, you think our, our friends are husbands need, need our encouragement and our prayers and our affirmation. And like you, think they, you think they need maybe a little more than we tend to give them in their role as husband? I think so. You see why it, this, this series could be beneficial for us as a church, especially for single people, to realize like, man, how can I help my married guy friends better walk in what they're called to? But husbands, I don't want you to feel like you're set up to fail. Because remember, you have everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him who's called you by his own glory and goodness. You you are equipped and ready for this. Yes, it is huge. Instead of it intimidating the heck out of you and you withdraw, let it push you deeper into an abiding life. React positively. Not to be too Joel Osteen-y or whatever, but like you can go negative or you can go positive. This should motivate you forward and, and deepen love. But for all of us, this should make us look at Jesus and just be like, whoa. And I don't mean, like, one of my goals is, as a pastor is, is to continue to try to help people not romanticize the gospel. Because sometimes females tend to be like, this is the ultimate love story. Like, this is Twilight esque, and it's like what it stirs in me. And that is ridiculous. I hate that so much. Like, I want to, if I ever write, ever write a book, which I probably won't do, I want to write a book called Jesus is Not Your Boyfriend. I know. And you'll buy it because you're in my church, and I'll make it. Uh, but also, there are guys I think who are resistant because because loving Jesus is maybe a little too touchy feely for like macho man, you know, whatever. Not macho man, Randy Savage, but like being like a macho dude, you know. I was reading a sermon a while back. Was talking about like the. I probably shouldn't say this, but what the heck? It's Fourth of July. Uh, this guy was was talking about. He was like, "No wonder men don't want to go to church." He's like. It's like he, he said, so many of the songs are written, you know, nowadays, and these are, this is his words: "Is uh, I want to crawl up in your lap and stroke your beard, Jesus." <laughs> then he said, uh, "Jesus, will you kiss me on the neck?" And now look, he was being facetious. But he's like, when that's the vibe of a worship song, where it's so romantic, no wonder guys have a difficult time relating. Now what I say is, no wonder girls swing toward romance and guys swing toward, uh, no, I'm good, thanks. And so when I say Jesus is not your boyfriend, it's guys and girls. Like, this is a different kind of love. And so when we read that passage, it shouldn't be something that guys are like, that's just weird. Guys should be like, that is amazing. That someone who deserves the wrath of God, that is rejected him and mocked him and even to this day even though I'm redeemed and all this, I still resisted and I still want to live a self-centered life and all this kind of stuff to know that that unconditional love and grace is still coming your way to know how difficult that is in a horizontal relationship should make us just embrace and affirm and adore the reality that exists in our vertical relationship with Him. So don't over romanticize it and don't resist it. See it for what it is. And then men who are husbands abide, rely on Him, and in His strength, love your wife like that. whatever her, Whatever she needs. Pray for her, pray with her, speak truth. Let there be grace upon grace and unconditional love and provision and protection and be a man. Then when you look at verse 22, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See, the role of the wife is like the role that the church plays. And so here's Jesus has met met our needs on the cross and continues to meet our needs in everyday life. And so what do we do? We we adore him. We come in and we sing to him about him. We just affirm the heck out of him. Not that he needs it, but he loves it. And we join him in what he's doing. We look at the Great Commission and we say, okay, well, I'm, I'm on board with that. We look at a missional life and we say, I, wanna, I want that to be developed in me. I want to I join you in, in what you're doing. I want to be a part. I want to live like, truly in your kingdom. Where are we going? What are we going to do? Let's do it. Let's do it. And that's the role of, of the wife. Submission is not, it's not mindless. It means you lose, lose your identity or whatever. But you look at your husband and say, where, where are we going? We reciprocate everything to the Lord that he gives to us. So wives reciprocate everything to their husbands. And they join them and say, how can I help? What can I do? What, can, what are we going to do make, to make this copy of the original look exactly like the original? What are we going to do? What can I contribute? How can I help? How can I pray? You're doing great. I know it's hard, but you're doing great. So Jesus affirms the church and gives us everything we need, and we send it right back, and it's the same thing between a husband and a wife. It is so incredibly mutual that really the issues of headship and submission and all that kind of stuff, really, there's, they just blend right in when the couple is striving to look like the original. Now, all, all of this, we'll get into more stuff later, all of this conveys something huge to us. That god has been conveying for a long 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 time is that god is relational with us i mean that is he's a relational god that he looks at us collectively and he says this is my this is my beautiful bride that i'm trying to make more and more and more beautiful and make more and more and more to look like my image so that when we are joined together in this wedding ceremony. There isn't a spot or a wrinkle or a blemish or any such thing that there would just be this union of holiness that is there. Now, this is going to seem really random, but stick with me for a second. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Let me close with this. I'm going to do it as fast as I can. There are there are probably sermons all over the country being preached on this text today, because it is the Fourth of July, and you've probably heard your share of them, and some of them have probably been spot on, and some of them have been so far off that I think it makes Jesus angry. Um, and I want I want us to to connect something, because a lot of these sermons are going to be. Either worshipping America you know in a weird way, or they're going to be about what America needs and how America needs revival and all this kind of stuff, whatever so in second Chronicle seven, Solomon has just built the the temple, and we're talking like forty thousand animals were sacrificed for this thing, and it's like a hundred and fifty thousand people went in you know were together to build it and it was it was huge and it was full of i mean it was insanely just ornate and just a really, really, really big deal. And so the presence of God filled the place up, and every, you know, the, the priests were literally overwhelmed. They couldn't do anything and whatnot. And so that's the context for this. And so I look at verse 12. It says, The Lord appeared to Solomon that in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house, as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Okay, so let's just stop right there. Locusts, no rain, pestilence. God, he used different things to communicate with people in the Old Testament. um, But the one that really got their attention was the land. Um, Because if the land, if there was no rain, the land would not produce, and so they, they couldn't eat as well. They didn't have a grain left over to, to sell or to trade. Their animals had nothing to eat, so they couldn't eat the animals or sell the animals or whatever. Um, it just affected all of life in, in just ways that we spoiled Americans probably don't really understand. And so when he's basically he's saying, like, when I, sh- when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, when locusts come in and eat all the crops, when there's pestilence among the people, okay, when I use the land to get the attention of people, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Literally, the, the land that they live on. This is not talking about America. It's not. It's talking about the covenant people of God. This is a promise made to the the covenant people of Israel, and we've been grafted into that. But it's about literal dirt. I'll heal the dirt. When there is humility instead of pride, when you are praying and you're dependent on me, when you're seeking my face and my character and and myself, when you're turning from wickedness, when you're walking in holiness... I will heal the land. Okay, in other words, everything I said that I was withholding, withholding water or sending locusts, or whatever, I'll remove all that stuff, or I'll send rain, and I will repair the land, because your sins will be forgiven. So here's God communicating with his people. Look what he says next. And my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that's made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. this this passage in all of the Old Testament and all the New Testament points to this this one great reality that God just want he is a relational God it is about a relationship with him and so Jesus took care of what stood in between us and him and so now I mean for us to think of it as a bride and a groom I mean that's like the ultimate relationship right so our relationship with God, I mean, what he's basically saying is, I, I'm going to communicate with you and take care of you and purify you. And even if that means after to withhold rain and send all this stuff to forget, sin forgiven and to restore the land, my eyes and my ears are always going to be here. My heart is going to be here forever because that's, that's the God that we serve. That's the God who loves us and cares for us. And he has put husbands and wives together on this earth in order for us to to either experience that within the covenant or for us to look at them and experience that. But we all have got to gain this understanding of how God wants to relate to us. Every sermon that's preached today about what America needs, that's what America needs. It's It's relational. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wickedness. It's all relational. Like, Jesus is what is needed. Jesus is what's needed in marriages to keep them where they need to be. Jesus is what's needed in our church. And what's, what's awesome about this is Jesus is not withholding anything. He's not, he's not looking at us and, like, dangling the carrot out in front of us. I mean, he's like, I am completely here. I've taken care of everything that divides us. Now let me care for you and speak true to you and purify you and let me teach you how to walk in, in holiness and righteousness and let me make you look like me. Because when you look like me, you benefit and I benefit and when I benefit, you benefit and there's this mutual everything that's going on and this great anticipation until we're finally joined with him and we're married and then we can just get to live forever in heaven and then on the new earth and we just, everything is absolutely phenomenal because of the God that we love, and serve. And the one who looks at us and says, I want to marry you. I want to be cemented and glued to you. I want to literally start a new family with you. Incredible. Let's pray. God, we thank you for... Um, for everything that you have done in order to make this a reality for us. Um, It was the greatest price to be paid in order for you to be rejoined to us. And Father, we are grateful for the needs that we had that you met, that we could not meet ourselves. And then for the way your care continues and continues and continues for your constant intercession, for the way you send your spirit to to teach and guide and comfort. Thank you, Father, that you are, you're the perfect original that all of us are called to be a copy of, single or married. All of us are to be conformed to your image. We need you to make that happen. It's not something that we earn, but it's definitely something we put effort into. Pray, God, that you would just infuse our our efforts, that you would empower us. The married couples here today would be encouraged and challenged and pushed forward. God, that all of us would realize that you desire a real, tangible Relationship with us, that that's the reason we were created, and through that relationship to ultimately bring glory to you so that everybody knows exactly who you are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.